somebody's not happy. <laughs> right, so it's Speaker's Choice this month, and um, my lovely friend Heather is going to be speaking to us today. So we really look forward to what you have to say this morning, Heather. So if you'd like to come up and just say a quick prayer. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for Heather and for her commitment to you and to our fellowship over these years, Lord. We just pray you bless her. And we just ask that you speak through Heather by the power of your spirit. And what she has to say will just touch our hearts, Lord, that we'll be blessed, that we'll be challenged, and that we'll know your, your grace um, at this time. In Jesus' name I pray. Mm. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Well, don't we all love to hear those special three little words? You know, three little words that can completely change your life when someone says, I love you. But today, I want to talk about just two little words, two very significant, life-changing words. Words that are at the heart of the gospel. But God. Now, the internet informs that those two words are mentioned 31 times in the Bible. But I just want to concentrate this morning on just a few occasions where those words have made a difference. Now, I think that most of us are familiar with the story of Joseph. That's him with the amazing Technicolor dream coat. Well, Joseph's brothers were jealous of him, and they sold him into slavery. Now, can you imagine how awful that was for Joseph? You know, these were his own brothers. These were his own flesh and blood, and yet they've sold him into slavery. I um, mean, that was so unfair, and he really hadn't done anything to deserve it. And, you know, I expect there's quite a few people here today who've been hurt, or betrayed, or let down, or disappointed by family, or people who you counted as friends and people you trusted. But because God created us in his own image with the capacity to love, we also have the capacity to choose because forced love is no love at all. So we have the capacity to choose and therefore we have the capacity to feel pain. Now, just to give a, a little example from our own lives, many years ago when we first started in business, we employed a young girl who'd been in the care system. Now, she didn't have any family, so she quickly became a part of our family. I remember she came to a Billy Graham mission with us. Uh, her and I used to do this little Bible study at lunchtime together. When she got married, my daughters were bridesmaids. And when her husband lost his job, although he didn't have any particular skills, we took him on as a laborer. Now, on a few occasions, he asked if he could borrow the works truck. He needed to move some furniture or he was doing something to help a friend. No, no problem. You know, just go ahead, borrow the truck. But one evening, my husband, Colin, went down to the factory and discovered that this young man was stealing materials from us. He had lengths of stainless steel and aluminium outside. And the thing was, he was using our truck to pick it up. <laughs> I mean, I think the cheek of it. So you can imagine how hurt and, you know, Colin and I felt we'd shown him nothing but kindness and he'd not only stolen from us, but he'd used our truck to do it. 
obviously it's a long time ago. And I, I only remembered it when I was trying to think of an example of something which was unfair. It's long forgotten. The Bible tells us to forgive as we have been forgiven. And if I stop to think of how often God had forgiven me, then, you know, you have no choice. Corrie ten Broom said, to forgive is to set the prisoner free and then realize that the prisoner was you. It's not always easy, but, you know, we have to learn and grow by just handing that over to the Lord and letting him lead. Unforgiveness hurts nobody but ourselves, which is what Jesus, what Joseph knew. And Jesus said we should be more concerned about the plank in our own eye rather than the speck in somebody else's. But for Joseph, his story gets worse. He's unfairly accused of something he didn't do, a crime he didn't commit. Now, would you believe that just this very week, I am very careful about recycling. I make sure that what we put in the recycle bin is just right. Put our bin out at the usual time. After we've gone to bed, somebody came and put stuff into our recycling bin. So when I got up the next morning, the bin men had slapped a notice on the bin saying that they couldn't empty it because it was wrongly recycled. And I think, that is outrageous. I am unfairly accused of something I didn't do. But it may be that, you know, that's happened to you where you've been falsely accused of something and you feel that it's just not fair. Well, it's a long story, but Joseph eventually is released from prison and he becomes second in command to the Pharaoh. When there's a famine in Canaan, Joseph's brothers travel to Egypt to buy grain, and of course, he recognizes them. By this time, he was a powerful man. He could have had them imprisoned or executed, but no, not at all. Joseph could say to them, you meant it for evil, but God, but God intended it for good. In Acts chapter 7, we read, because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles. What happened to Joseph was unfair. Probably what's happened to you in your life seems unfair. He had every reason to feel resentful. But for those two words, but God was with him. No doubt things had not been easier for Joseph, but God had a bigger plan. Perhaps things haven't been easy for you, and you've been let down. But can you trust God is with you, and you can learn more through life's unfair experiences? Psalm 33 says, the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. Now Elijah, he was a prophet of God in the Old Testament, and he had seen God move in miraculous ways. But he came to a place in his own life where the circumstances were just too hard to handle. He couldn't take it anymore. He prayed in 1 Kings 19 for God to take his life. He just wanted to give up and die. Now, God didn't rebuke Elijah for reaching a place of complete dependence. First, he provided food and rest. And then he sent his presence. In 1 Kings 19, God tells Elijah to go and stand on the mountain. There was a powerful wind, there was an earthquake, then there was fire. God wasn't in any of those things. God's presence came in a gentle whisper. 
When circumstances were too much for Elijah to handle, God answered with himself. See, getting to the end of ourselves in circumstances too hard to cope with, we become utterly dependent on God. And we find that underneath are the everlasting arms. We find peace and trust and hope. We find that we are deeply loved. I read recently that in 1852, Charles Spurgeon went to Cambridge to meet Dr. Angus Joseph, who was principal of Regent's Park College, and he went to discuss his ideas to train as a preacher. Due to a mix-up by a maid who showed Spurgeon into one room and Dr. Angus into another, they missed each other. After waiting for two hours, Spurgeon inquired as to what was happening and realizing the confusion, by which time Dr. Angus had gone home. Now, Spurgeon could have felt frustrated. He could have been annoyed with the maid. She might have cost him an important opportunity. But he could look back and he could say, the Lord's hand was behind the maid's mistake on that day. For that set in motion Spurgeon establishing his own Bible college, which is a famous Bible college today. Life doesn't always seem fair, but God never drops the ball and he never misses a single moment. The life of the Lord Jesus wasn't exactly what we would call fair either, was it? He was and is God. He came to save his people from their sins, to seek and to save the lost, to bring each one of us into our relationship with the creator God, and it cost him his life. Jesus never did anything wrong, yet he was betrayed by one of his disciples, he was deserted by his friends, the ones he came to save rejected him and killed him, nailing him to a cross. And that could have been the end of it. People don't normally come back from the dead. But we read in Acts chapter 2. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. God raised him from the dead. Where would we be without those two little words? And because Jesus has been raised to life, we can be assured that those of us who put our trust in the Lord Jesus to save us will also be raised to eternal life in heaven. When my lovely son-in-law Seth died at the age of 51, my daughter organized a really beautiful memorial service. Many of you were there to celebrate his life. Now for the service, Helen ordered two floral arrangements and they were um, exotic looking with orange and red spiky sort of plants in them. Red because Seth was a Liverpool supporter and orange because he worked for Network Rail which is the Orange Army. After the service she gave me one of the arrangements to take home and in it were some dead dry looking sort of twisty twig things. When the flowers died I noticed that the twigs had grown roots so we put them in a pot and then leaves appeared so we planted it in the garden. It's huge now. It's over six foot tall. 
I did take a photograph, but I think it's got lost somewhere. Yeah, it has got lost. It's like Jack's beanstalk. It's like huge. And I look at it and I remind myself that what appeared to be dead and dry looking twigs is actually very much alive. For a time, we cannot see our loved ones, but for those who put their trust in Jesus, we can be absolutely assured that they are very much alive. Joseph, betrayed by his brothers, falsely accused, sent to prison for something he didn't do, and yet he was able to forgive. Elijah, in the depths of despair, God was with them. Every day we read of Christians who are imprisoned for no other reason than that they love the Lord Jesus, and yet they persevere. Let us not forget to pray for the persecuted church. You know, we have it really easy compared to many of our brothers and sisters around the world. Now, perhaps some of the things that have happened to you seem unfair, and it's not because of anybody else's fault. You know, just the result of living in a fallen world out of sync with its creator. The purpose of that would still be to draw us closer to God, to grow in faith and trust and knowledge. In the message translation in the Sermon on the Mount, it says, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there's more of God and his rule. Now, let me tell you something else that seems unfair. And that would be for a totally innocent person taking the punishment of the one who is guilty. And yet that is what the Lord Jesus did for us. I'm re reading from Romans chapter 5. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a good man, for a righteous man, sorry. Though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But God demonstrates his own love for us. Isn't that amazing that God demonstrates his love for us while we were still sinners, still the guilty ones, still the ones deserving of punishment? Unfair to the Lord Jesus, but wonderful, amazingly wonderful for us, knowing that we are so much loved. What can we do in response to that love? Well, there's an old saying, there's a work for Jesus only you can do. Now, obviously, we have to consider what age and stage we are at in life. You might be right at the start of a career, in which case life might be very busy, you might have a very demanding job, or you might just think, oh, well, I think I'm a bit past it now. But we have the tool of this lovely refurbished building, and it's not just for us to sit here every Sunday enjoying it. Now, I know that some of you might think that you're too old, and, and I have had to learn to say no myself recently, which I don't find easy to do, but you know, we have to just remember age and stage. But before COVID stopped us in our tracks, we had a house group which met at Underhill, which is a place in Lowfell for retired people. Almost all of the people in our group were in their 70s and 80s, but every month we organized a coffee morning for the residents. Everybody in the group played their part. They served teas and coffees, provided cakes, set tables, you know, leading the quiz, having discussions about the Bible around the tables. Everybody contributed, and the residents loved our visits. Now, 
perhaps you're thinking, well, I don't have enough knowledge of the Bible. I, I don't know enough about it. I, I don't think I could help out at a Bible study or anything because I don't think I know enough. But listen to what this verse says. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many of noble birth. But God, here we are again, but God chose the foolish things of the wise to shame to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things so that no one may boast before him. So if you're feeling that you're one of the weak and foolish ones, then you know God can use you. Now I'm just going to ask the band to come back up here at this time. I'm going to close. I started talking today about three little words but I want to close today by talking about three different, three different words. It's in a story I read in a book by Catherine Hill, who was the UK director of Care for the Family. In the summer of 1940, 350 Allied soldiers were trapped on the beaches of Normandy. The German army were advancing and gaining ground and all looked lost. An officer from the British Navy is reported to have sent an urgent message back to London, and it contained just three words, but if not. The meaning would be lost on many, but not on Winston Churchill. He knew what it meant, he understood. It was a reference to the Old Testament, to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, three brave young men in the Old Testament who had been taken captive into Babylon. And because they refused to bow down and worship the the um, king, they, they said, no, you know, we worship God only, nobody else. They refused to bow down to the king. And so they were thrown in the fiery furnace. And those young men, those brave young men could say, well, we know that God can rescue us from this furnace, but if not, and that was what the message was. You see, we know with hindsight that God did rescue them from the fiery furnace. But even if our prayers are unanswered, even if our worst fears came true, that will not be the last word. We will trust him. To Winston Churchill, the message was clear. The Allied forces were in great danger, and yet they were trusting God for a miracle. But if not, even if the worst happens, we will not give in. We know with hindsight that a miracle did occur and 338,000 soldiers were rescued by small boats crossing the channel and bringing them to safety. So when we face disappointments, when life seems unfair, when we're in the middle of the most difficult circumstances, not knowing how things will turn out, can we say those words? I know that my God can deliver me, but if not, I know him to be good and I will trust him anyway. We would all prefer the, but God, where prayers are answered the way we want them to do, to be. But can we trust him with the, but if not? Now, I'd like to close by just reading the words of a song. And it's, um, I feel it's very meaningful. I've read it to you before when we were up at Emmanuel. But for me, it's a statement of faith. So I'll, I'll try to read this to you. For the joys and for the sorrows, the best and worst of times. For this moment, for tomorrow, 
for all that lies behind. Fears that crowd around me for the failure of my plans, for the dreams of all I hope to be, the truth of what I am. For this, I have Jesus. For the tears that flow in secret in the broken times, for the moments of elation or the troubled mind, for all the disappointments or the sting of old regrets, all my prayers and longings that seem unanswered yet, for this I have Jesus. For the weakness of my body, the burdens of each day, for the nights of doubt and worry when sleep has fled away, needing reassurance and the will to start again, a steely-eyed endurance, the strength to fight and win, for this I have Jesus.